People keep sending us notes saying that the death rate from COVID-19 is not that high, so why are we worried about it? But the real fact is that the long-term effects of COVID are devastating. We'll be talking about that on this episode of This Week in the CLE, the news podcast from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, and I'm here with Laura Johnston, Jane Cahoon, and Chris Warnowski. It's another rainy Tuesday. How are you all? Good morning. Wet. Yeah. <laughs> same I, I hope uh i hope jane your power does not go out again like it has this morning so let's mm. get started before it does what can cuyahoga county executive armin budish be thinking with all of the contracts he is proposing that have gigantic red flags waving from them when is the next election laura johnston we've, we've talked about these in the past he keeps putting through no bid contracts or contracts based on very old specs But yesterday brought another round of a red flag contract that they brought to the county council. What what are they doing this time? Yeah, I have no idea what he's thinking. The contract was with Westlake based Point Blank Solutions and the county's public safety chief, Robert Corey, had worked there as a vice president of legal services. His cousin was the owner, at least in 2010. But a county spokeswoman said, He hadn't been involved in this contract extension, but without discussing any question on Monday about this possible conflict, the chief of staff, Bill Mason, pulled the requested uh, $6,000 extension. So um, the point blank contract had expired on June 30th. It was for software to track inmates at the county jails, which is an entirely different subject. And as part of his job, Robert Corey helps oversee the jails. So yeah, uh, they pulled that. Well, but the fact that they pulled it, 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 they proposed it. They took it to council. Evidently, somebody in the council said, what are you thinking? Do you really want the publicity of doing yet another seriously questionable contract? I just don't get it. It's almost like Budish doesn't want the job. I mean, it's, it's people are furious about the way they are going around the longstanding procedures that we have in place to keep government honest. And it's over and over and over again. And they're defiant. There was a council uh, discussion a week or two ago in which they said, yeah, we, 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 we think this is fine. We, we don't think it's a no-bid contract. It's a no-bid contract. It's the definition of a no-bid contract. They didn't seek bids. There's no other way around it. You can put a pretty, pretty picture on it and say, hey, we, you know, we sought some proposals or we checked them out. I just don't get it. This one, this one flabbergasts me because, it, it, you know, it was doomed because council is on this one. And mm-hmm. why get the publicity? Why continue to hold yourself out as working around the public interest? No, I, this is a very good question. I mean, this is after the $30 million in no bid contracts that we've talked about a lot. Also, that 15 month old request for qualifications that they used to, to choose a bond council for refinancing debt on the Huntington Convention Center. So you think they would be a little more careful at this point about the optics of things. Um, And county council is the one that raised the questions about it uh, ahead of the board of control meeting. So this wasn't even a regular council meeting. This is the board of control includes representative council and the administration that approves contracts not exceeding $500,000. So it's a public body, but it's, it's not going through the same scrutiny as it would in a regular council meeting. I wonder if this is a result of COVID-19 and the fact that people are not getting out as much. And so if Budish is insulated from what the public is talking about, that he somehow thinks that there's no fallout from 
these decisions. But we hear from lots of people and people are not happy with the so way you mean County he's not went. listening to this podcast every day? <laughs> <laughs> no, clearly he's not. But 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 I would think that the county council would start to worry about their own necks. I mean, this is there is a huge distaste for what's going on in county government. So much so that people are suggesting we go back to the three commissioners because there's only three. You know, now we have a county council with a bunch of people and a county executive, and and the consensus is growing that this is not working. That, right. that it's out of control. So if you go back to three, at least you can focus. And I mean, I mean, I think that probably be a big mistake, but there's a frustration with the lack of public accountability. And I just don't get it because well, Buddhist- I mean, every, every county government has had these troubles. Like, I mean, we had the county commissioners embroiled in scandal and the whole corruption probe. And then we had Ed Fitzgerald um, and the county executive and the whole, you know, not having a driver's license. And now we have this, like you think somebody would figure out and be like, it's just very important that transparency is paramount in our administration. But, but it's weird because Budish has the thinnest skin of almost any politician I've ever dealt with. I mean, he pays very close attention. So how is he missing this? I mean, this is a problem now. This is a repeated problem. There's a clear trend of irresponsibility in Cuyahoga County government. How is he not picking up on the dissatisfaction out there? Anyway, we'll see what's next. He's up for re-election, what, in two years? Yeah, it's 2022 is the election year. I wonder which candidates will line up to take him on because of the, that, that dissatisfaction. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Who can attend Ohio State and Cleveland Browns and even high school football games if any of them get played this fall? There's been a lot of back and forth on this, Jane Cahoon. OSU actually announced at one point it wanted to have 20,000 people in the stands, but they forgot to tell the governor about that. He wasn't (laughs) crazy about it. Where do things stand right now? Well, that's probably why we shouldn't be surprised uh, with what DeWine has done. There was an amendment to an Ohio Department of Health order that went into effect Saturday, and it basically affirms, you know, DeWine's reaction to that plan by Ohio State. it's it prohibits spectators at these games, at least for now. Really? So nobody would be able to watch. It would be like what's going on with baseball. Maybe for some contact sports. Out. Yeah. Like uh, football, basketball, rugby, field hockey, et cetera, et cetera. And, but, uh, but hasn't DeWine said in his briefings over and over again, Hey, if everything works out, we're, we'll have a better fall. So isn't the window open that if, if the numbers continue to fall like they have been in the past week, that that could change? For sure. I mean, he said before that he really hopes we can have fall sports, but he needs this order as a placeholder until, you know, he and the health department determine that that it's safe. So, you know, for now, it just isn't. So he said they're they're watching the situation and um, we'll see what happens. Time is getting short, though, both yeah. both teams would start playing just about a month from now. So right. the next four weeks will tell. I mean, he's got to be happy about the recent trend and whether his mask order is working. We've seen steadily decreasing numbers of cases in the past week. So yeah, we'll maybe see. he'll talk about that today, you know. I'm hoping he talks about what he <laughs> promised, which is yes. what the contact yeah. tracing we showed. We yeah, he that. owes us that, and I can't wait to see what that date is. Okay, you're listening to This Week in the CLE.
Is somebody finally going to be held accountable for all the Cuyahoga County jail inmates who were mistakenly freed? Chris Ranowski, our reporter Adam Faris has had a field day reporting on the number <laughs> of times inmates just got to walk out because of incompetence in the jail. There's a development. Somebody does sound like they're going to be held accountable for at least a couple of the cases. What's the news here? Right. So, yeah, you, you kind of went through some of the background I was going to talk about. This This has been a problem for a while now where every... I think it seems like every two or three months or so we'll have a, a report of somebody just mistakenly getting released from jail. And one of the issues was that it was a, there was like a a records issue, like a like a weird gap between the courts and the jail records, and and it was just resulting in in people believing that they these people these inmates were supposed to get released and. Uh, yesterday we got word that three uh, jail officers and a supervisor will face discipline for an incident that happened on June 13th when three inmates were <laughs> released by mistake. These inmates all, they were misdemeanor inmates and two were charged with domestic violence and one was charged with assault. Two were later arrested and then a third was issued a summons to appear in court at a later date. And like, like, like I said, they had been struggling with this and jail employees have erroneously released uh, four inmates in six months between April and October 2019, including a man accused of murder uh, who was, I, I believe, later arrested. So um, so hopefully, you know, this is something that they managed to sort of, you know, get under control because it's. It does happen with a, a, a regularity that is kind of alarming. Well, and and for people that don't have a frame of reference, I mean, you and I both have worked in other cities and paid close attention to criminal justice issues. Mm-hmm. This does not happen. I mean, yeah. this is this is a very unusual occurrence at a jail for them to release somebody accidentally and. At the level of of incompetence at this jail to do this over and over again. I mean, this is basic. This is the job. You you hold people securely. I I cannot understand how this continues to be a problem. But in the in the uh, announcement of the discipline, there was even some controversy there because the union uh, was not notified uh, until the discipline was announced, and they were a right. little bitter about that. Yeah. So the, the head of the, the attorney for the Ohio Patrolman's Benevolent Association, which does represent all of the corrections officer was, was pretty irked that he, I think he learned from Adam Faris actually that, that this had happened. So, um, he said they're going to, you know, look at the allegations and make sure that the members are defended in accordance with their collective bargaining agreement. So, um, so the story isn't over quite yet for these uh, deputies, but the future will, will will certainly be interesting to see what happens. Okay, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. How is the air we breathe? A bit of very good news resulting from COVID-19. Laura Johnson, we've talked about air quality as a result of the, the drop in commuting because a lot of people are working at home. The, the early numbers looked good, but we're pretty deep into this now and we're seeing some some pretty enlightening data, what does it show? Yeah, it shows that the drop in um, soot pollution actually happened almost immediately within a week of uh, Governor DeWine issuing his stay-at-home order on March 22nd. And this is data collected by the US EPA. Pollution levels in both Akron and Cleveland are remaining below five-year averages for a majority of the business days, uh, June and July. Um, And it's by a lot. 
So in 17 out of 30 days in April, the levels were at or below the five-year averages. Twice they were below the 20-year low. Um, May and June daily levels fell below the five-year averages more than three-quarters of the time. That includes 24 days in May and 23 in June. So this isn't a fluke. This is sticking around. We are driving less and our air has improved. And Cleveland has been known as having air pollution problems. I mean, this is why we have an e-check and the rest of the state doesn't. And this kind of soot pollution in the exhaust is considered the most harmful form of the air pollution. You know, my brother keeps telling me, if you looked at the sky, if you looked at the sky, he's he just has been struck over and over again by how blue the sky is and how brilliant the clouds look. And I, it just it, you start to wonder, OK, yeah, COVID has been devastating and it's killed people and it's made a lot of people sick. But but if, if we learn some lessons from this that have been forced upon us about working from home and, and driving less, do we just make this a much more pleasant place to live? You keep hearing productivity hasn't dropped and you keep hearing that a lot of people like the convenience of working at home and not commuting. And and the result is you go outside and it's much healthier. And like Chris Warnowski has pointed out, often going outside is really all that's left to us. So, (laughs) (laughs) But right. Like I remember we talked about this a lot sort of early on in this as to, you know, while it's difficult to see, now because we're in this crisis and we're all full of anxiety and everything that that there might be, you know, some positive things that come out of this. So I, you know, I, I, you know, now we're in a hurry to get everybody back in these at work and factories and back on the highways and spending money and, and helping the economy. But, you know, maybe, maybe this is what we need to kind of heal the world is, is, is take a, take every, every year we take a whole month off from work and just stay home and, lockdown and and you know let the planet breathe again and look at the look at the pretty sky it's a it's an interesting there's not a lot of good news out of this this pandemic but this no, is one not at all. Bit. this week in the cle who is the latest republican state official to jump on the bandwagon that wants to end the influence of dark money on ohio politics in the aftermath of the larry householder scandal Jane Cahoon, it's fascinating to me to see all the people coming out of the woodwork saying, we want transparency, we want transparency, when they all have benefited from the lack of transparency. So who's the latest? You're such a cynic, Chris. (laughs) This is Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, who, as you said, is a Republican, and uh, he has joined two state reps, uh, Gail Manning, a Republican from Lorain County, and Jessica Miranda, a Democrat from the Cincinnati area. And they are all backing a campaign finance reform bill that would bring transparency, basically get rid of dark money in Ohio politics. It would increase the frequency of reporting requirements, and it would basically say that that all uh, all political spending, even if it's by a, a group that orig- that was organized as a nonprofit, has to be disclosed. Well, we should point out that Democrats benefit from this just as Republicans. It's just Republicans are in charge in Ohio. The 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 big hitch is that there's a Supreme Court ruling that pretty much makes this all fine. Right. I mean, what can you do? Um, I'm not sure I understand what you mean. What can you do? (laughs) I mean, I mean, if, if you try and pass laws and do things to restrict this, don't you run afoul of the Supreme Court ruling on this kind of spending. 
I guess it depends. Um, we're talking about disclosure here, not not the existence of these groups. So I don't know whether they might cross that line, but you know, it looks like they're they're going to give it a try. And we should remind people this is how Larry Householder is alleged to have conducted his bribery scheme by funneling money from First Energy entities into these secretive groups that he controlled and you know, using them to advance his political career and, and pass this nuclear energy uh, bailout. So the Gail Manning says, you know, this has kind of that, that lawmakers are going to hear from their constituents, you know, who want this and, and there's going to be some pressure there. And she also pointed out that, you know, a lot of lawmakers have been on the receiving end of dark money attack ads and they don't like that. So I, I don't know, that might be, you know, uh, an overly optimistic way of looking at this because lawmakers well, are on <laughs> recess now and they, they, they're worried about their own reelections at the moment. So, you know, we'll have to see if it advances. I, I think it's pretty clear that if there had been disclosure, first energy would have been much slower to put $60 million into this, campaign because can I, can I say so you know there the, what's what's weird about this is that there is a lot of transparency around these these organizations that are backing stuff like this so you know you can go and look and see who's backing this the problem is is that you can hide you can hide your yourself through llc like limited liability corporations like for instance we were looking into a a a public campaign that existed to sort of uh, to look at Cleveland public power. It, you know, it was very critical of it. And there were, there were all these mailers and things that were sent out. And, and when you start looking into who's backing it, 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 it's all kind of hidden behind LLCs. I mean, you can make the argument, you can say, well, it's transparent, you know, the LLC, it, but when you start to look into the LLC, there's almost no information required by the state, um, to establish one of those. And, and and so it makes it really, really hard to find out who is, is actually funding this stuff. So I I think, you know, Jane touched on the right point, which is, you know, they're not necessarily trying to, to do an end end run around citizens United. I think their hands are tied, you know, this, you know, the high court in the land has said, you know, money is speech and, and companies enjoy the same speech as people. Um, but I think what, what they're looking at here is probably trying to figure out a way to make more information available in these, you know, in, in the, in the background in these, these, these corporations that are just really just fronts for, you know, moving money around between LLC and LLC. Yeah. But I don't think there's any move to require limited liability corporations to, list who's involved. I mean, all you usually get for that is the registering agent who's a lawyer. Right. Uh, I right. Think- but it's, but that feels like they're only, I mean, like if, if there was a way to remedy this problem, it would, that would be the way is, yeah. that's, I mean, that's how people are hiding this from this. And it makes it, you know, I mean, law, you know, it, it takes subpoenas and finding emails and wiretapping people to actually find out who pulls the strings for these, these front LLCs that people are establishing. I mean, it's it's really part of a, a bigger kind of a chess game of how political money gets moved around in states and and really across the country. Okay. Well, since you mentioned that, Chris, uh, the the um, 
they also want to give the Secretary of State's office subpoena power to force these organizations to share their records if if they don't want to do so willingly. So that was that's another element to this legislation I just thought I'd mention. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. People who want to return to pre-pandemic normal keep talking about what they think is a low death rate from the coronavirus. They say the death rate's low. We're doing all this stuff. We shouldn't be doing it. But isn't this much more about the long-term effects suffered by the people who don't die, the, the survivors? We, we've we been talking about this for a few weeks, and Evan McDonald has put together a story to kind of get at that point, Chris Warnowski, to show that this is about so much more than the number of people who die, which I would argue is still high. But, <laughs> right. but what, did, what, did, what did Evan McDonald's story basically lay out? Right. I would say 150,000 people dead is not, that's bigger than the, uh, the state capital of my, my home state. That, that's nothing to sneeze at. But, um, we, we've talked about this a lot, I think, over the course of, of this lockdown and then, and this pandemic, um, is, is that the reality of the coronavirus is that even if you survive it, you are at risk for some long-term, maybe permanent health uh, health problems and um studies have already found that it can cause lasting damage in your heart your lungs your kidneys it can also lead to some neurological issues like delirium and hallucinations and, and in some really severe cases people have uh, strokes that can result in long-term issues like paralysis and memory loss so you know it's it, so much of how we're being sort of taught to view the virus is that it's it's the death rate is still relatively low but and, and people are recovering from it but you know if you're 20 or 30 or 40 you know it's it's fine okay great you recovered from it but you know now you have something else that you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life and that's going to you know it put, puts a strain on not only you but you know it means you know you're going to be paying medical bills probably forever and and it's just it's it's untenable. You know, I think the, what we should be encouraging people to do is to not get this and, and, and stop implanting the, the notion that, you know, if you're young and healthy, you're going to get over this because, you know, chances are you, you, you might, you might shake the virus, but you're not going to be shaking some, some long-term problems. And Laura Johnson, Julie Washington took a look at the long-term heart damage after we saw the study come out that showed the majority of people had it months later and it turns out the Cleveland Clinic is is taking a look at this as well. Yeah, they're they're in two different studies uh, participating. One, they are the main sponsor. They're looking at whether a specific early treatment will prevent heart and respiratory failure in COVID nineteen patients who already have heart injury or extreme inflammation. And then they're also participating in a multi-center trial that looks at specific treatments that target the inflammation because uh, COVID nineteen kind of causes inflammation throughout your body, see if it can prevent respiratory failure um, and the inflammation they're going to collect and analyze this data for the study. So um, I just wanted to add in that I've been sending out, I sent out a message about uh, Evan McDonald's story yesterday. And people are like, how can you know if you're going to have long-term 
effects of this. It, it hasn't been around long enough to know. But so I think the unknowns, people are trying to use that both ways. Like, well, we don't really know if it's going to cause lasting damage because it's only been here six months, but we don't really know what damage it's doing. I mean, there's just so much we don't know about this virus. Well, and I would argue that just knowing that your heart is damaged months later is pretty good knowledge to have. I mean, how many right. how many common colds have you had in your life where two months later it's it's affecting your organs and people are right. We have no idea what this could do to you 20 years from now. Another reason I really don't right. want to get it. Right. But but I, I can't tell you the number of people that have sent me emails saying, this is stupid. We shouldn't we should have no safeguards. We should go back to normal. The death rate is low. They're dealing with the numbers, not with the, the huge amount of human suffering. We hear I from love, plenty sorry, of people I, that take the opposite tack too. True. I, I love the people who email us and say, this is all a media conspiracy. And it's like, yes, this is what I wanted to do with my time. <laughs> I just made this up because I was bored and I wanted yeah. my kids to be home all the time. Yeah, we we, we really stuck it to all those businesses that help us stay open. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> way, way to get them, media. All right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How is Destination Cleveland trying to get the local economy restarted after the devastation of the coronavirus? And is it too early? Laura Johnston, Destination Cleveland came out a a while back to to say, hey, let's have a campaign to get people come back to restaurants and all sorts of things. And then we had the jump in the coronavirus that scared everybody and the thing went dormant. They're coming Mm -hmm. back now. And what are they trying to do? They are trying to encourage Clevelanders to explore the region. Um, this starting now, uh, this is the second, like you said, second phase of the program. They're calling it Rediscover Cleveland. The first phase was called Clean Committed, and it was trying to make sure that businesses adhered to safety guidelines to to make sure people felt okay about going out. So 400 businesses are participating in that program, apparently. And so Rediscover Cleveland is about a month behind where they thought it would be. Um, The CEO of Destination Cleveland said he acknowledged there was no perfect time to launch this campaign. That's what he told um, Susan um, Glazer from uh, Cleveland.com. They're going to use advertising, social media, and a resident-focused visitor's guide. He said, quote, the timing feels as good as it can. We're in such a challenging situation. The businesses that are open need the help, and that's what we're trying to do. So, But, I think- but is the timing as good as it can be? I mean, we're, we're not close to that day <laughs> when it's safe to go out and mingle again. So I could argue just as strongly that this is not a good time, that the good time doesn't come until there's a vaccine. I just wonder, th- this is a mixed message, right? Because we're, we're all trying not to get this thing and we're wearing masks when we go out and we're trying not to go and mix with other people. And this is a messaging campaign that's basically, go ahead, go out, go do stuff that could put you into contact with the virus. I, I'm, I'm a little, it's a surprising message. I get it. The economy is suffering. Local businesses are suffering. But but if people follow this advice, wouldn't we see some increase? Doesn't this increase our risk of getting it? I mean, everything comes with risk, right? I guess the idea is they're they're telling you to go out and do it as safely as possible. And they've already had that interim step of making sure the businesses are following <laughs> but, their orders. But if I want to do things as safely as possible, I wouldn't go, right? 
Right. I mean, yes, but there, you know what? There are people that are going places regardless. We've talked about the bars with their issues. We've talked about people on airplanes. So maybe they think if there are people that want to get out and do stuff and they're going to do it anyway, let's have them do it in Cleveland. And let's have them do it safely. I mean, the message yeah. is all about safety and it and what you need to do. And I think they're even providing some stuff to people that can't afford it. So, well, it'd be interesting to see how the campaign goes. It's this week in the CLE. What's the latest news out of Lordstown that seems to support the idea that the auto plant there, which closed down in controversy, can come back to life? Jen Cahoon, I've I've just been suspicious of this electric truck deal since it was originally announced. But with every passing month, it seems to be more substantial. And they took a pretty big step yesterday. Right. They announced that this uh, Lordstown Motors, which is the electric vehicle manufacturer that took over the shuttered GM Lordstown plant, is going to become a publicly traded company after merging with this Delaware-based holding company called Diamond Peak Holdings. And that deal is going to raise about $675 million so they can produce their, their new endurance pickup truck that they unveiled recently. They're really excited about this. They, they say they've received a bunch of advance orders for fleet purchases of the endurance and they plan to make like 20,000 of them during their first production year. And they're going to be on the NASDAQ. They're going to under a ticker symbol. RIDE, capital, all capitals, R-I-D-E. Yeah, it won't be the employment that the plant had when it was in its heyday, but still, it's a, right, a very positive right. sign. I mean, you've all passed that on the turnpike. It's an enormous plant, and it's been sitting idle. Interesting. Okay, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. Will people want to live in downtown Cleveland after what has happened with the coronavirus What's the latest on the conversion of the May Company building into living space? Chris Wanowski, this is kind of a big question. Will people want to live in buildings with elevators now that they have learned all about social distancing? What What is going on with the May Company building? Well, I can tell you from my own experience that people don't mind riding elevators, some with masks, some without masks. And, uh, uh, and, and I recently moved out of a, a building with an elevator because people weren't wearing masks and taking it serious. So for some people, it doesn't matter. And, uh, right now, uh, the May company announced or the company that owns the May company building, which is right off public square, um, said that they were going to start, uh, leasing apartment and retail space three years after, um, the, the redeveloper bought the downtown structure. And, um, I, I I guess to answer your question, I, I think a lot of people are betting on are still confident that people are going to uh, be moving downtown. Um, you know, there Steve Litt had a story a couple uh, weeks ago about um, I think like five more major uh, living spaces being opened up in in and around the downtown area. Uh, you have places in Ohio City that are still going up that have yet to open. Uh, and apartments yet to go in the market. So there's, you know, I, I developers certainly seem to think that people are going to be there, but you know, I, you know, hard it's, it, I mean, it's just really hard to predict, you know, I, 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 you know, people would have to go back to business and it just doesn't seem like it's happening right now. It'll be interesting to see whether other people in your age bracket have picked up and left downtown in the past months or are planning to as their leases expire 
and whether vacancy rates will go up. It's a it's a bit of a gamble, all of those places that are converting. But but you know, I'd rather be in downtown residential real estate than commercial real estate right now. Right. I think that's going to be severely hit as people I th- I think there's a market for stuff like Airbnb and 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 you know, but I mean we have I mean, keep in mind, there's like a, how tall is that thing that is about to open in, uh, in Playhouse Square, you know, that Lumen building, right. you know, right. I mean, and, you know, those aren't inexpensive apartments to be diplomatic about it. You know, I, I just, you know, you wonder who, who, who is doing that instead of, you know, buying a house, you know, at this point, you know, there seems to be, you know, you're, you're sort of starting to read stories about people who are kind of leaving places like New York and Los Angeles permanently because, you know, it's untenable in a, in, in a, in a, in a touch and go economy. And, and frankly, people want room to spread out. So, you know, people are returning to Midwestern cities like Cleveland. So, you know, maybe we'll capture people who are, are sort of disillusioned in, in bigger, more expensive cities and we'll come here and view what we view as maybe unaffordable as affordable and, and and take advantage of that. So well, it's I, interesting you, you bring up New York because on nextdoor.com or this week somebody posted a message in the Cleveland Heights neighborhood saying, "Hey, what's with all the New York license plates I'm seeing around Cleveland <laughs> Heights?" So maybe maybe you're onto something. It's this week in the CLE. That'll do it for this podcast. We went a little long, but that's okay. Good stuff to talk about. Thanks, Chris, Laura, and Jane. Thanks to everybody for listening. This week in the CLE will return on Wednesday.